Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, singer-songwriter Mike Donahue, formerly of 10th Avenue North, has written a new book on what he calls the art and elegance of arguing. A lot of people will agree, okay, love without truth isn't love. Well, I'm saying the converse is true as well, that truth without love isn't really truth. That they're, they're, they're actually married to each other. And if you want to speak truthfully, then your posture is equally important. Patrick Herman talks with Mike Donahue next. Our guest today is no stranger to Pilgrim Radio, former lead singer of 10th Avenue North, now solo Christian recording artist and author of two books, Finding God's Will for My Life and Now, the book called Grace in the Gray. Mike Donahue, thanks for being with us on His People. My pleasure, my man. Now, before we get into the book, let me ask you about the transition from Christian recording artist to author. Has that been a natural transition for you? I mean, I never stopped writing you know yeah and i actually started i started writing blogs well before i started writing songs oh so i feel like i'm an author turned songwriter turned back to author now you were i follow you on instagram and you were just saying you like to argue is that true about your personality (laughs) uh i would say i am not afraid to argue i think i used to really enjoy argument and now I think I've learned to uh, just embrace it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And there's a time and a place for arguing. Well, yeah. I think a lot of people think if I'm arguing with someone, then something's wrong with our relationship. Uh. And I've learned that when someone has the courage and the trust to argue with you, yeah, um, that oftentimes it's a marker that you're actually in a relationship. Because if everyone agrees with you all the time, then you're really just in a relationship with yourself. Well, so the new book is called Grace in the Gray, and it's all about those areas where we find ourselves in disagreement with others. That's the gray. I mean, yes. The the, the funny thing is the gray is usually the area where two opposite sides both think it's black and white. Yeah. Which is the difficult thing. It's hard to get people to even agree on what a gray area is. Uh, But anytime... Like, for instance, if you bring up trick-or-treating to Christians, okay. there's a huge group that is saying, no, that's black and white. You should not do it. And there's a huge group that, no, black and white, it is not a big deal. You totally can do it. And so when you get that space, you have to acknowledge, okay, there's enough people who are against it and enough people for it that perhaps this is a gray area. Yeah, and it's the grace that happens in the gray that is was what your book is all about. Yes, the the book is all about embracing the idea that our posture is as important as our position. We're going to talk about that because I have some questions on that. And you have four different mm, approaches or or rules that that you go through and I want to talk to you about all of those yeah, with you. Yeah, bring it. Okay. What was your perspective though? What what made you say, "Aha, I need to write a book about this." Something happened. Uh well, the pandemic happened. And when you're in the pandemic and anytime you post something, it felt like uh. the the argumentative 
side of people was amped up a little bit because nobody was talking to each other face to face. And it seems you can, you allow yourself to be a bit more aggressive when there's that anonymity of your avatar in between you and the other person. Yeah. Um, And I found myself just in all these arguments online and I thought, no, no, no. My job is to help them see my side. And I got involved in a couple of different arguments and there were enough good logical presentations on both sides of the argument that I started getting more curious with people. And lo and behold, something happened. I started getting these comments whenever I'd have this big argument going and I'm responding to people. Well, people started commenting, hey, I'm really encouraged by the way you disagree with people. And a lot of times they say, I actually don't agree with you on this, but I appreciate that you are validating the other side and the the way that you're going about it. And I started going, hmm, you know, there's plenty of books that kind of take controversial subjects and present both sides. There's um, four views on is kind of a really cool. If you ever want to explore four opposing views on something like hell, for instance, there's four views on hell that theologians discuss and debate each other. It's really, it's really fascinating. I said, that's, that work is already being done, uh, but I don't see a lot of books about how to take care of your, your posture in the midst of argument. You know, and I have even, I, I have grew up with two best friends. They are at odds right now over political stuff and they're actually not even talking to each other. So this is something that happens across the board there's just not a lot of grace in what people believe. There's no bend. There's no give. Yeah, exactly. And it's so funny, right? Especially in spots like that, like politics, where Jesus seems to make a point. He has a, a tax collector and a zealot, both in his posse. You know, the zealots would have been wanting to kill people like Matthew, the tax collector. Yeah. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to see politics through the lens of Jesus, not looking at Jesus through the lens of your politics, you know? All right. So and- you just mentioned posturing and I want to talk to you about that because uh, that's, that's actually number four in your four stage process of your, your, your list that you have in the book. Mm-hmm. See why your posture is as essential as your position. What do you mean by posturing? Are you talking about, you're not talking about body language. You're talking about where you are on this issue about that. Yeah, uh, the way that you present it. Um, a lot of people will kind of say, hey, as long as I speak the truth, it doesn't matter if I'm a total jerk uh, about it. Right. Um, for instance, I can go and pick it at someone's funeral because you know what? Truth hurts. Mm. And if you're offended by, by me, then tough luck for you. You need to grow thicker skin. And the problem with that is you have all of these places where Paul is uh, addressing, uh, specifically, I, I think about 2 Timothy, where he's talking to Timothy, and he's saying, hey, correct your opponents with all gentleness. You know, He doesn't say correct your opponents, and however you want to do it is fine. He doesn't say in Ephesians, speaking the truth. He says, speaking the truth in love. He also says in 1 Corinthians 13, like, if I speak in tongues of angels and speak prophetically, but I have not love, 
it, it's it's meaningless. Now, a lot of people will agree, okay, love without truth isn't love. Well, I'm saying the converse is true as well, that truth without love isn't really truth, that they're, they're, they're actually married to each other. And if you want to speak truthfully, then your posture is equally important. So, Mike, you say this this kind of um, place where you have found, I guess, this art of arguing happened during COVID. How has it been for you since then? Have you found yourself where you've just uh, lost it, maybe a heated debate, and you just have lost it? Be honest. What? How have you combated this in your own life? Oh, okay. So, definitely the same knee-jerk reaction. I feel it. You know, I feel the heat come up to my face. You feel your ears ringing. You, you sense this moment of knee-jerk reaction. Uh, but I have been finding, I've, I've found, I'll go to write, you know, a sarcastic sort of biting response to someone. Right. And I stop and I go posture and position, posture and position. And I find myself, uh, typing very differently. Um, I had a friend who I have a whole chapter about how like essential forgiveness and reconciliation are for the Christian. And I wish I'd put this, Tim Keller actually just said this in a book. Um, but that in Matthew, it says two things. It says in one place in Matthew, it says, if you have a grievance against your brother, go to him. And then later in Matthew, it says, if your brother has a grievance against you, go to him which means the impotence of initiating reconciliation is always on the Christian. Um, and so, I mean, I just went for uh, like coffee and a walk with a buddy of mine who we had both really heard each other about um, music business stuff. And we hadn't talked to each other in a year. And we went and a lot of this that I'm learning, it, it doesn't matter who's wrong. We're both hurt and I need to do what I can to, initiate reconciliation, you know? Where was the primary source that you went to, to, to learn these things? Was it people like Tim Keller, the Bible? Where did you go? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. All, um, you know, I quote Les Miserables. I quote <laughs> Tim Keller. I quote a lot of Jesus. Uh, J- Jesus has much to say about the way that we treat each other. He certainly does. Let's go back to, to your four-stage process. And you on your number one, you say, subjectify those you've objectified. And I'm not sure what you mean by that. So help us I out. mean, I mean, when you get in an argument with someone, you tend to see them one-dimensionally. This idiot, you know. Yeah. The, this per the, And the people you disagree with, we call them trolls. I have a whole thing about yeah. not putting an identity on someone based on their activity or their actions. You know, we, we like the, the radical thing about the gospel is I am a liar, but God doesn't call me a liar. He calls me a child of God. He doesn't identify me by my sin. And so one of the, the elegance of disagree, I almost called this book, the, um, the art of elegant disagreement, right? Uh, is to is to go, man. Mm, I really disagree with you, but I'm going to refuse the pull to reduce you down to that one thing, and remind myself that you're a whole person with a whole life 
with a whole influence of why you might think that way. Um, and that helps, for instance, when I was engaging with people about Halloween, it, you know, when you start hearing someone's backstory about why they wouldn't participate, suddenly you don't go, Oh, I can't believe you would say that you go, Oh, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Or if you're getting in an argument about alcohol, you know, which the Bible never ever comes out and says, no one is allowed to drink alcohol 100% of the time, but it has all these warnings about drunkenness. Yeah. So you start getting curious about someone, you go, I can't believe you think that way. And then you start to hear their story. You go, Oh yeah, that totally makes sense why you would feel that. But you need to get to that point, that art of listening. And it, so that's part of it, right? The, the, yeah. The first, the first chapter is called leaning in. You okay. know, I mean, you, you, you can't, even begin to subjectify someone if you don't lean in toward them, you know, and the curiosity and the kindness. And it's shocking when you actually try to consider, there's a really great quote. Um, I can't remember who said it, but they said, we would do so much better if we started to stand in awe of what other people have to carry instead of standing in judgment of how well they carry it. That is good. And that's just one of the things. Let me let me see you as a person, everything you have to carry before I start to make assumptions about who you are. Realize why they're embittered or why that they are so staunchly holding to a certain point. Yeah, one of the, one of the things, you know, Frederick Beekner said God was the first psychotherapist. So in Adam and Eve's sin, his the first thing he does is he asks them questions and he doesn't say, what's wrong with you? Why on earth would you do that? He yeah. says, where are you? Who told you that? Yeah, you're right. So, you know, initiating with curiosity. Now, unity cannot be the ultimate goal. I, I was thinking of a quote before we got on here with you, but it's JC Ryle saying, unity is a mighty blessing, but it's worthless if it's purchased at the cost of truth. And so, you know, we all want unity. That's really part of all this. But uh, there's a certain time when there's not going to be unity regardless, right? Even even how much grace you throw into a circumstance. Well, yeah, of course. You know, if you try to reconcile with someone that refuses to reconcile, you can't force reconciliation, right? Yeah. Um, but, but I think it's fascinating in the name of unity. If you want to talk about verses about unity in Ephesians 4, right after, you know, speaking the truth in love. It says that God gave five different kinds of pastors for the, for the sake of building up unity within the church. So he gave apostles, teachers, evangelists, shepherds, and prophets. Okay. Well, guess what? Those five people have a way different idea of what's most important. And so it's so, it's so interesting that Paul says God gave these five different guys to force all five of them have to get along to have true unity. A true unity actually has like a diversity of opinion as a diversity of what's important. Yeah. Um, and I think what happens, the reason we have so many micro denominations in the church is one or two of these people go, well, these people are never going to listen to me. So we're breaking off and doing our own thing. So a lot of churches you'll see, they have apostles and prophets, but they don't have any teachers and shepherds. And then some churches you see, they have no one who speaks 
apostolically or prophetically, but they got a lot of teachers and shepherds. And I would say that's actually might be a false unity um, because a true unity uh, celebrates diversity of opinion. And and I think you were talking about Ephesians chapter four, but that Jesus is saying, you know, so that we can all grow up into this one body and the maturity that happens throughout. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly right. Maturity, you know, maturity, it seems you start to uh, get a better handle on what's really important. And I think the reason that he would give five different viewpoints in the name of mature unity is when you get all five of those people bouncing off, then you're reduced down as to what's actually essential. And what we do in the church a lot of times is we build non-essentials into essentials. And you need that sort of pushback to figure out what actually is essential. Let's talk about some of your other points uh, from your book. And I love this one because I think we do this. We put people on high pedestals all the time, humanize those you've deified. Tell yeah. me tell me what you're thinking though. Uh, I mean, just you've seen it. How many pastors and how many Christian celebrities, they fall and fail and it just wrecks people. Yep. It just wrecks people. And that tells me that someone has put all their chips in on this person. You know, like true true wisdom, like I said, seeks a diversity of teaching, a diverse Great. I think it is. I'm quoting Keller again, but I heard him say in a sermon, you know, if you just follow one person, you'll be a clone. If you just follow two people, you'll be confused. If you follow a hundred people, you'll start to become wise. If you listen to 300 people, you'll become wise and you'll develop your own voice. And I think when we dial all down, this is the one person I go to for truth. Then if they screw up, It's going to destroy you. And so we need to be careful. And I think listening to arguments helps us not hold one person's opinion as the end all be all. Because when you put all your chips in on them, it's like God said, you know, he's like, I want to be your king. And we go, no, give us a king. Give us a king. We're still doing that. You know, with me, though, you're preaching to the choir because I get this. But to the person who is doing this and they don't know it, what would be the signs? What would be the thing that they say? Oh, yeah, that's why you're having problems with this. You're you're trusting in man. If someone quotes a source, this I think this I talk about this in the book. We have this habit of qualifying and disqualifying the source of truth as opposed to looking at the statements of truth themselves. So, for instance, if I quote certain people to you, you go, oh, that guy, that you got to be careful with that guy. That guy, he says, of course, I got to be careful. I got to be careful with every guy. And so when you kind of go, no, this pastor, this commentator, he's got it all together. I'm not fact checking anything he says because and this guy over here, I'm not listening to a thing he says. Anything he says, I'm writing it off. I would be. Really careful because Paul himself quotes Greek philosophers of the day as he goes, all truth is God's truth, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. I like how you answered that. Now, you have a lot of friends that have read this book. I saw an endorsement by Mac Powell. What's the feedback been like from from those guys? I mean, they, they seem, you know, the, the reviews are good. They're positive. Yeah. 
What do they think about you being an author? Is there is it just like, oh yeah, that's Mike, he's doing this. But th- this is a this is a big uh, change for you from writing a three minute song to writing books. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, I I was a blogger before I was a songwriter, and anyone who knows me knows that I can't turn my brain off, and so me coming out with books, the people who know me, they go, yeah, that's par for the course. That guy never, never stops thinking. It's exhausting talking to that guy. (laughs) I I love to, I love to pontificate. Do you find yourself preaching as well? Are you, are you a preacher? Yeah. I've had a lot of people ask me, when are you going to start your own church? And, uh, I don't know. That's still a long way off. I think. Let's go into one more empathize. Sorry. With those you vilified. I think this is something you have to learn to do. And we were just talking about that a little bit from the beginning, but this is where you have to find out their background to realize they're not really a villain. Tell me, tell me what you're thinking on that point. Yeah. God proves his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ Mm -hmm. died for us. So let this same mindset be in you. That was in Christ Jesus. Like we ought to have a mindset that runs toward those our culture would vilify, you know? Uh, I like right now voting season. I think about um, can you empathize with someone who votes differently with you, or do you vilify them? And if you do, just like that's someone Jesus died for. So if you if you're looking at people as villains, you you completely disagree with Jesus. So that I don't want to be on that side of an argument with Jesus. Good point. Well, and I think it's they believe what they believe for a reason. They don't just believe it because they, uh, well, they might they might hate our Jesus, but they believe it for a reason, and we need to find out what that reason is. Is that what you're getting at? Right. Next time someone says something you super, you know, you just disagree with wholeheartedly, just stop, pause, acknowledge I could be wrong, and ask, tell me more. And you might be shocked at if you give them the chance to expound uh what kind of things you might find out about them and about yourself. And you were saying that, I mean, that's part of what you say in the book is in relationships, professional settings and social situations, discover how to focus on the person standing before you. I would, I would even add, man, I just read this really great book by Jay Stringer about unwanted sexual desire. He called it unwanted. And in it, he talks about how, if we would be curious and kind with ourselves. So like you, you do an action that you, you know, you shouldn't do. Yeah. You look at yourself, you, Oh, you bemoan, you hate yourself. I'm, I hate that. I hate that. I hate, it. I'm going to, I'm going to hate myself into changing. And, um, exactly the opposite is true. You know, uh, Romans two, four says the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. So, so God, you, God says, the method with which I will change you is kindness. And then we go, yeah, God, but I'm going to use a different method to change myself. <laughs> right. And when you learn to be kind with yourself and get curious with yourself, like, why is that? Why am I feeling that? Instead of going, oh, I, I'm so horrible. I'm so horrible. I did it again. We make, we make an enemy out of ourself. Instead of saying, man, that's, that's fascinating. I wonder what was going on. What was going on in me? Why would I choose to do that? Why would I blow up at my kid? Yes, you apologize, you repent, but then you get curious and kind with yourself. You, you rewind the tape and say, what was going on in my life? What was going on in my heart? So when you learn to start being kind to yourself and curious with yourself, then 
then suddenly the other enemies outside of you, you you start to learn to do that with them as well. Um, Andrew Peterson has a great song uh, called Be Kind to Yourself. And the bridge is, I have to learn to love my enemies too. And he's talking about himself. Yeah. You know, there's those times, I call them, in my life, I call them ghetto moments. Actually, my whole family calls them ghetto moments where you just go off. There's certain times that you just snap. Uh, typically when you're so exhausted that you're not thinking clearly. But so this is, this is a rule of thumb, right? What you're saying in this book and to have that grace in the gray, uh, doesn't always happen. It doesn't, but you know, I start this book by going, if you've, you might not get anything out of what I say, but the fact that you open this book is a huge step. The fact, number one, that you acknowledge that there's gray Number two, acknowledge there could be grace in the midst of it. And number three, actually want to be more gracious toward people who disagree with you. I go, you've, you're already winning, you know, if you're even reading this. And we may all be, we may not all really be debaters, but we do find ourselves at odds and arguing that's just going to happen. This is for everyone. I, I mean, Thanksgiving is coming. That's right. Family's coming. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, we... With our friendships and our churches, sometimes we're actually able to curate an existence where we're able to keep away people who disagree with us. But you're always going to end up finding yourself in a place where you're with people. It's going to be Thanksgiving, or maybe it will be at your church, or maybe it'll be you know, at your school board advisory meeting or whatever. Yeah. And do you have the tools to actually listen to people? And I hope this book can help some people do that. Yeah. You said that you can't turn off your mind. So that makes me in closing here, I'm wondering what's on your mind and what's maybe some, some subject of some new book. What's, what's going on in that brain? I'm thinking, well, mm, mm, I think right now, obviously I've been thinking about this book because I'm finishing it up and talking about it a ton. I think probably the next thing that I'm really fascinated about is going to be the more and more seeing the western bible through the eastern lens with which it was written i've just you know i've always it's always really fascinated me so maybe some trips to israel and uh write a little bit more about some of the origins of our faith i love that that sounds like a great subject well mike in closing give us some uh final thoughts from your book there's this little t.s Eliot quote that i share i have a chapter called kissing the fool uh it is still shocking to me how many people are still so defensive to ever admit that they could be wrong. And the book of Proverbs says, I think it's 50 times, something to the effect of, a wise man loves being told he's wrong and a foolish man hates it. And so T.S. Eliot basically says, you got to kiss the fool, kiss the fool in the mirror you know, uh, <laughs> embrace the fact that you're an idiot and that there's huge blind spots that you're not aware of. And when you embrace that in yourself, um, man, it's going to go a long way talking to others. Now, how can our listeners find you online or find this book? If you just type Mike Donahue into the interwebs, you'll find me. I'm on the, the grams and the TikToks and the Facebooks. I got a website, all that stuff. You'll find me. Mike Donahue, singer, songwriter, and author. Thanks for being with us today on His People. My pleasure. 
You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Mike Donahue, author of the new book, Grace in the Gray. The book isn't released yet, but it should hit the bookstores and Internet sites on January 23rd. To learn more online, go to MikeDonahue.com. Donahue is spelled D-O-N-E-H-E-Y. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Adam Holtz on navigating culture with a Christian worldview. Three great questions are, is this beneficial? Is it constructive? And is it mastering me? And if I find myself enslaved to something, whether that's something as obviously problematic as pornography, or it could be video game addiction, or it might be Facebook, Mm -hmm. right? If I'm enslaved to it and it's mastering me, then it's not beneficial. That's tomorrow at this same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.